1 Corinthians chapter 9, and let's, be, let's begin in verse 19. And as we, as we look at this text, uh, I want you to be reminded of a couple of things. Not only did uh, um, we meet Dave and Clarissa, uh, and then Nicholas, and, and then Kaylee, and I think uh, uh, we, uh, we haven't met all of the children yet, but um, we haven't met all of you guys but not only did we, did we meet them back in Indianola when they came to, to join us there, but I, I, had, a, I had a flashback today of, of Dave and I doing something together. And uh, we were in, I don't know if you've ever been down to Indianola to the free church down there. Big, big auditorium. It's one of those big metal buildings kind of out in the country and really tall, really, really high ceiling. And you remember, Dave, you and I were up putting, um, we were putting tape up, and it was, it was fire tape way up in one of the corners the day before the fire marshal was going to come and visit our building, right? Do you remember that? And we had not been in the building yet, and we weren't going to be able to be in the building if that wasn't passed. And uh, the gentleman, we, I mean, we really did build that church, didn't we? And we were a part of that, but got up on this, uh, he and I got in this, um, what do you even call that thing? A lift, okay. We got in a lift, and we went up as high as the lift would take us. And then we're standing next to each other, and Dave goes, you're going to be the one that stands up on the railing because you're taller than me. So um, he may have been young, but he was smart. And I still remember, I'm, I'm on the railing of this. I'm standing on the railing. This is one of the dumbest things I've ever done in my life. I'm standing on the railing of this on top with fire tape, and Dave is holding on to my belt. You remember that? You're, you got my belt. And I'm like, there's no way. If I fall, he's not going to be able to hold on to me. But do you remember what you said to me? You said, uh, don't fall, because if you fall, I'll get fired. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> I mean, so anyway, that, what a great friend, huh? <laughs> anyway, that, that's just one of those flashbacks. We're, we're in a really serious text today, and, and I'm so glad you didn't give me the meat sacrifice to idols text a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but it does pertain even to that. But you need to know a little bit about who I am, who my family is, just really quick. Not because it really matters that much that you know who I am, but it matters that you know that I love the Word of God, that I've been trained to understand and teach and communicate truth in a way that uh, my heart is passionate about. I was a, a pastor for 27 years in, in the Evangelical Free Church. We went from uh, one church revitalization to another, to another, to another, and, uh, and we knew the last church we went to would be the final church that I would pastor. We knew that would be, that would be the end of the road. We knew that. God had, had given us really a sense of purpose in what we had been called to do and helping churches kind of renew and revitalize. And it was, we had an incredible journey. And so a year ago, I retired, and don't hold this against me, but I am, I am now a financial advisor. Don't hold that against me, okay? Um, but I love the Word of God, and, I, and my passion is, and even you know, because uh, most of you are not in what we would call full-time Christian ministry, even though every one of us is in full-time Christian ministry, but most of you know how difficult it is to bring the gospel across the table in the workplace, right? Or, or across the room or in, in relationships with people who may not know you're a believer, but when they find out, they're a little bit afraid. 
And I just want you to know that that's one of the greatest joys in this past year in my life is not being uh, telling people the truth because I'm in a role of a pastor, but sitting across the table and speaking truth into someone's life and being able to communicate it in a way that says, you know what, this is normal. This is absolutely everyday stuff. I mean, Jesus loves you more than you could ever imagine. And he wants you to give your life to him. Why? Because he, not only does he deserve it, because he made you, he created you with a purpose, but you know what? His joy is the only joy that will ever satisfy you. And you know how much fun it is to be able to communicate that now? It used to be, I, I would tell people, if you want to clear a, a hot tub at a pool, if you're like in a big uh, pool area, if you want to clear a hot tub there and you want it all to yourself, when somebody asks you, what do you do, tell them you're a pastor. <laughs> Whenever we would do that, it would just, the thing would clear out. So go ahead and use that if you want. If you want it all to yourself, just say I'm a pastor. But in communicating this word, um, I, want you to, I want you to first answer a question for me. What gets you up in the morning? What is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? What do you think about? And I, I, told, I told Pastor Dave I was going to ask you to speak. And he said, I, I'm not sure. I said, I'm, yeah, can I do that? What gets you up in the morning? What, why do you get out of bed in the morning? Tell me. Just, just say it. Work. Okay. What else? What? To feed your cat. Oh, my goodness. What a lucky cat. Who said, somebody said something over here. Your kids get you up in the morning. What else? School gets you up in the morning. Boy, I bet that is a joy, isn't it? <laughs> what gets you up in the morning? Chihuahuas, really? At 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. or three of them. Oh my goodness. What gets you up in the morning? Anybody else? Anyone else? Why do you get why do you get out of bed in the morning? You've got to have a reason. You've got to have a reason to get up, right? What is it? Anyone else? What do you get up thinking about? Coffee, okay. Oh man, I got a slide for you. Go ahead and put that one up. Coffee, a warm, delicious alternative to eat, hating everybody every morning forever. <laughs> right? We figured it out in the church. That's why we put a little coffee in the back in the corner. Yeah, coffee gets people up in the morning, right? Any, any football fans here? Anybody like the Minnesota Vikings? You got purple on today. Vikings fan? Accidental? Go Vikes. They won last week, and we're going to watch. We're definitely going to watch them today. Our son has been so disappointed by the Vikings through the years that we're going to watch them win today, right? You have purple on, Vikings fan? Not really, just accidental, okay. Man, what's the deal? Packers fans, oh my goodness, I'm sorry. I was, born, I was born in Wisconsin, but I'm not a Packers fan. I've got another picture here. Her name is Millie, and uh, have you, did you see the story about Millie? Did you? What a cool story. This woman, 99 years old, going to be 100 years old this summer, and Millie got to go to the Vikings game last week. They gave her free tickets because they found out she was a great Vikings fan. That's what gets her up in the morning. 
She got up in the morning thinking about the Vikings. They wanted her to go to Philly because they said, we need Millie in Philly because she's our good luck charm. And she can't go. She can't travel all the way to Philly. But if they get to the Super Bowl, they've already promised her Super Bowl ticket, she's going to the Super Bowl. And Millie gets up in the morning thinking about the Vikings. In fact, she has a brick at home. She has a brick. And it's a foam brick. And every time they do something stupid, the Minnesota Vikings, she throws it at her television. As she got older, she tied a rope around it so she could pull it back and throw it again. I love that lady. I love that lady. But that's what gets Millie up in the morning, right? That's what gets her up in the morning is is Vikings, and I hope they don't disappoint her today. But if any one of you have been here, you've heard about Pastor Dave talking about a new reality. And let's take a look at what gets Paul up in the morning his intentionality. Beginning in verse 19, chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Some of you, are, are you all tracking with us? Are you, all with, are you all with us? How many of you think, I wish I could be like Paul, but I can't be like Paul. Paul's crazy, right? I can't be like Paul. I'm not as passionate as Paul. I'm not as knowledgeable as Paul. I just, I I seem to flame out. I seem to kind of go to the meaty part of the curve in the middle, you know, somewhere. Mediocrity maybe, but Paul always seems to be on. Does that ever bother any of you? God had a particular call in Paul's life, and he, he is the same God today as he was then. And he has a call on your life. And I don't say that to make you feel guilty. I say that because... You're not Paul, but you are whoever God made you to be, and he's got a purpose for you. Here's what he says in verse 22. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. And I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And by, he didn't mean he was saving anyone. If you read through Paul's letters to the churches, he was a, a humble man of God who understood grace. He understood where the power came from. But he said, you know what? I'm a part of this. I'm an instrument in this salvation I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you might obtain it. You ever been in a race where you're like, I know I'm not going to win? Anybody ever been in a race like that? Anybody ever out for track? (laughs) Cross country? I know I'm not going to win, but I'm going to do my very best. Right? You know what? It's not about crossing the finish line first and being the very fastest on the course. He's saying, have you left it all out there? Whatever you've been given, have you used it to, your, to the greatest potential and ability that you have? What have you done there? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul had something bigger in mind. So why do you get up in the morning? 
Why do you get up in the morning? If I were to ask you in light of that text, does it change your answer at all? So why do you get up in the morning? Why did God create us? Now let's take a look at this, and, and I think the very same question that uh, the Corinthians are asking why Paul wrote this letter, some of them were just wondering, okay, what am I supposed to do with all that you have just kind of laid upon me? Paul went through so many things with the Corinthian church. He, there was division in the church. You probably talked about it. Um, again, there were, there were weaker brothers and sisters. What did he say to them? You're still drinking what? Milk, you should be eating meat. You should be further along than you are. I mean, it's kind of all this, all this scathing early on, right, to the Corinthian church. You're sexually immoral. You're, you've got problems in your marriages. You don't understand singleness and the purpose of it. And it's boom, 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 boom. And now he says in a very clear way, halfway through, I'm going to change my tone and I'm going to treat you like a brother and sister and I'm going to tell you where this intentionality comes from and how to live it out. And I love the way that he changes his tone and he begins to say, you know what? It isn't just He's my Savior. I wake up in the morning thinking about God and what does He want me to do? I've been redeemed. It's not only that, but it's what purpose does He have for me today? And so I look at, let's look at verse 19 again. For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. What Paul did here was he chose personal sacrifice over personal rights. He chose personal sacrifice over personal rights. It was rather, who could he bless? Instead of, who do I need to tell that they're wrong? Well, that's critical, isn't it? It wasn't about... Um, Oh, man, I, I, I am glad you, you didn't have me in the food sacrifice to idols part, but, but we're on the backside of that, so we have to talk about it. Why was that significant? Did you go through that? Did you preach it? Why was it significant that they talk about food sacrifice to idols in chapter 8? Do you remember why that was significant, anyone? Why did Paul need to address it? Yes, they were, what? they were sacrificing to pagan gods, right? Idols, idol worship. So why was that a problem in the, in the Christian church? Why was he addressing it with Corinthian believers? Okay, and for some, if it was sacrificed to an idol, Paul's saying, for some, you believe that that would be sin, right? So he said, if you're going to eat food, meat, sacrifice to idols, that would be a sinful thing because you believe it to be sin. Now, what about someone who doesn't believe those idols or anything except for a little statue, and they're like, you know what? That is really a cheap dinner because when they're all sacrificed, they're selling the meat on the backside, and you know they got a zombie burger, a smash burger on the back, and I'm just going to go, and our family's going to eat well. Do you know what Paul is saying? He's saying if you if you believe that was truly an idol that it's sacrificed to, and you believe that, that's sin. You cannot eat that. But he said, if you look and you go, that was just a piece of stone. I am not dishonoring my God. He's drawing a line there, and he's saying, listen, I could, I could eat with you. I could abstain with you. 
That's not the issue. The issue is what has Christ done in your life and how has he transformed your life? And so he says, you know what? No matter what I believe about that, when I'm with you, I'm going to be this way. When I'm with them, I'm going to be that way. And some of you might say, well, that's very hypocritical. Anybody feel that way? That's a kind of a hypocritical way to do things. Anybody have a family member who thinks, for instance, that one day of the year or two days of the year are not days that can be celebrated? Anybody feel that way? They talk about days, too, and holidays and seasons, and right? And then other parts of the Bible say every day belongs to the Lord. So what do you do in circumstances like that? What do you do when it comes to the point where you're trying to figure out, how do I live my life as a Christian? Uh, boy, as a young pastor uh, in a church, uh, just a wonderful growing church, there were two families lived next door to each other, and they both came to me at different times seeking help with their neighbor. They both went to our church. <laughs> Problem was Halloween. One of them decked it out. I mean, oh my goodness, they had everything. They had skeletons, they had pumpkins, uh, they had everything. They had cobwebs, you know, in their bushes. And then the neighbors were like, eh, there's no way. We are not. That is the devil's day. And we are not going to celebrate that day. You know what? I don't really care where you land on that issue. That's not relevant today. What is relevant is this. Both of them wanted me to urge the other person that, wait a minute, I'm living out my freedom in Jesus Christ. I can have a pumpkin if I want to have a pumpkin. And the other one was like, you know what? I am not going to worship the enemy, Satan, the devil. And, and they were pretty strong. In fact, they were into smashing pumpkins, and it wasn't the band either. It was, they were into like, tearing up their neighbor's pumpkins. What do you do when that happens in the church? Paul says, hey, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice my personal right and I want you to know Jesus in a, in a deep and intimate way. It's not about those things that can fall on either side of the Christian spectrum. And you might want to argue with me afterward. I'm not giving my email, so you won't email me. Um, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. Kind of turns, kind of like Dr. Seuss here, right? That I might win those under the law. To, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. You know, the important thing here, and the second thing I want you to know, is that we need to remind ourselves, it's not about me and it's not about now. It is about Jesus Christ and it is about eternity. Paul was basically saying he realized it wasn't about him. It wasn't about now. When our kids left home for college, we have four children. Our youngest um, is just finished college and still with us, so the nest is, is almost empty. Does it ever get empty, any of you? Does it ever? It kind of gets full, empty, full, empty, right? Back and forth a little bit, right? So there we are. But when our kids left for college, we told them, a bunch of things, but the most important thing we told them when they left for college, other than my daughter who went to college in Chicago, it's like, here's your mace, put it in your purse. Most important thing was this. You don't owe us anything. 
We love you. We have done all kinds of things for you. And, and, I, and we weren't bragging. We are just like, we're the best parents you could ever possibly have. <laughs> we've, done, we've done things for you that, that we wouldn't do for anybody else. You know why? Because you're our child. We've waited up in the middle of the night. We've cleaned your, your, your puke. Well, at least Tracy has. Um, we have... <laughs> I did the diaper thing. We've done all kinds of things for you. You don't owe us anything. However, you owe Jesus Christ everything. He owns you. He died for you. He gave his life for you. Now go live for him. Just blow the doors off. Do whatever he tells you to do. If that leads you to a faraway place to serve him, if it leads you right next door, you just go live for him. Just do it. If it leads you into a full-time ministry or um, everything is full-time ministry, right? If it leads you into a, a role that you feel like you're really gifted to do, just do it. It's not about me and it's not about now. It's about Jesus Christ and it's about eternity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 22 and 23, then he says, I, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. You can see him just riled up here. And I think at this point, and, and I touched on it earlier, so I won't go into a lot of detail, but we have to put to death our legalistic tendencies. We tend to want to live other people's lives, don't we? We just tend to want to do it. I mean, that's just the way we're wired. By the way, I love the ministry that you have here in Waukee. Um, I was only aware of it just a tiny little bit until you shared today. And I love that your church is committed to that kind of ministry. Do you know how many Christians I've battled through the years with saying that kind of ministry is not of God, it's social gospel? And I want you to know, not only is it not social gospel, it is where the gospel hits the ground, I mean, we're in church so we can go out and make a difference, right? Of this Jesus that died for us and gave his life for us. And I love the fact that you bring the gospel into the middle of human need because that's exactly what Jesus did. I want you to, to turn with me to Luke chapter 13, verse 10. And while you're turning there, I'm going to grab water from over here. I left down here unintentionally. But if you would turn to a passage I don't have marked in the text right now up here, but Luke chapter 13, I want you to see what Jesus does for this woman and how he approached legalism. Look at verse 10, how he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, which was always a setup for him, wasn't it? And behold, there was a woman who had a, had a disabling spirit for 18 years. I love that God doesn't tell us everything about it. Disabling spirit, you know, the enemy did it. The devil did it. We don't know why or how, but it happened. And when people are disabled, it doesn't mean that the enemy or the devil did it or they've done something wrong. But in this case, we're told that it was, it was literally Satan himself that had put her in this place. 18 years. She couldn't straighten herself up. So can you imagine that? 18 years, you're stooped over 
When Jesus saw her, he called her over and he said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. Here's a cool thing. You know, women had to be in the back in the synagogue if they could even be involved at all. If they could even be involved at all. So what did Jesus do? In the midst of all of these religious teachers and all of these uh, righteous people, what does he do? He sees a woman in the back. He sees a disabled woman and he says, I am going to, not only am I going to notice you, but I want you to come forward. I want you to come right up into the middle of this group. And he laid his hands on her and he immediately, she was straight and she glorified God. Can you imagine that? A woman praising God in a synagogue. That was not acceptable. And she's probably crying out to God, screaming to God, I'm free. Praise be to God. I'm free. And you would expect all the religious leaders to say what? Praise be to God, right? You would expect everybody to go, God has been here. This is incredible. But here's what the synagogue leader, he's indignant. And, and he said, uh, he's, he's indignant. That, that means he's mad, okay? Ruler of the synagogue, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. He missed what Jesus had done. Who was the Sabbath made for? People, man, yeah, mankind. Not the other way around, right? Interesting that he, he addressed a legalistic tendency of the day. And I grew up in a day, by the way, if somebody had a hole in their roof because a tree fell on their roof and you wanted to go help them on, on Sunday, you couldn't help them on Sunday. You had to wait till Monday. Water had to pour into their house. I'm like, as a kid, I knew that was wrong. This is really, really not right. As a child, I rejected that. I, but Jesus here, he said, uh, they said there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed. Uh, in other words, uh, how dare you heal this woman on this day? How dare you see her? How dare you pull her into the middle? How dare you love her? How dare you care for her? It is the Sabbath. They missed it. Then the Lord answered them, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. That's the Jesus we serve. They were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. And Jesus said, what he said, and he dropped the mic and he walked away. Hey, I grew, up in a, I grew up in a little church where we were told, you can't play cards. I didn't know why, but we couldn't play cards. Uh, women, women had to wear dresses. Um, I'm not sure why. It seemed a little unfair, but women had to wear dresses. Um, you couldn't dance uh, because of what happens when you dance, and I, I still don't know what happens because I, I don't dance. So... <laughs> Don't wear jeans to church, I was told. Um, in fact, I've been told that a lot of times through the years. Like, give God your best. And I'm like, wait, that dude in the wrinkled corduroy suit, that's his God's best? I'm like, my jeans are, they're okay. Don't go to movies, even G-rated, right? That's where I grew up. No smoking, of course. Definitely don't drink alcohol. But we never talked about racism. We never talked about gossip. We never talked about gluttony. And when our Sunday school superintendent disappeared because he ran off with somebody in the church, nobody talked about it. I mean, it was just like, we're, we're going to shove it under the rug. 
But we are going to try to point out the fact that if you do this or that or that or this or that, we're going to disagree with you. And through the years, it's been one after another. But let's see, Romans 14. Would you turn to Romans 14 with me? I just want to read a couple of verses from there. And I, I just, just so you know, uh, Pastor Dave didn't give me a finish time, so I'm going to let him tell me, when, do, when are we done here? Ten minutes, okay. Got to get to the second half of the message, right? In Romans 14, it says, uh, beginning in verse 14, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Boy, I underline that. Don't quarrel over opinions. How do you win other people? You listen to them. You hear them out. Even if they're like, oh my goodness, inside you're going, oh, I can't stomach that. Hear them out. Give them the gift of understanding. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. I used that against my mother many times as a child. Well, it's, I'm not, I don't want to be weak, so I'm not going to eat vegetables. Um, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. So in other words, when the issues are what? Not clear, not absolutely clear in Scripture, give people what? Give them grace. Give them grace. But where God puts a boundary up, that boundary is solid, by the way. When God puts a fence up and he says, here is my fence, this is my, I'm calling you to obedience in this. Don't feel like you need to add another fence in front of it because if you get really close to it, you're going to be in big trouble. So you're going to add another one out here and we keep adding fences until we get so far away from the truth of what God said. And he said, man, let people be when there is okay, when it's okay to disagree on things, don't be disagreeable. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another if it is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld? For the Lord is able to make him stand. Verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. And that was the verse I took those people to who are arguing about a holiday that... Um, got so convoluted they hated each other. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord and if we die, we die to the Lord. Do you get it? Do you get it? We're all going to one place, Right? I don't mean that everybody on this planet goes to heaven, but every one of us will be judged by God, right? We're all going to see him. We're all going to see him face to face, either as our Savior and our Lord, or the one who will say, you know what? I never knew you. Verse 9, for to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother, or do you... Uh, or you, do, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to me. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. That is critical for us to understand. So why do I live in a way that honors God? Why? Not because some person told me that they didn't like the way I did this or that, but because I know God's word and I live it 
because I want to honor him with my life and I want to be obedient to him because he gave everything for me and one day he will judge me. That's why. That's our only motivation. I got to stand before him alone one day. Anybody have trouble because you want to please other people? Any people pleasers here? Want to be honest about it? Okay. Can I ask you to give that up? I was a people pleaser for years. About destroyed me. And you know what I realized over time was that I was living for the wrong motivation. I was living to try to make people look at me and go, you know, he's okay, he's good. And as I read the text, it says, really, if you lay your head down on the pillow at night and you and God are good, and you can, you can stand before him with what you said or what you did or how you acted, you know what, that's what matters. And the only temptation when we talk about legalism is we think it's going to give people a license to sin, right? Isn't that what runs through our minds? Like, well, whenever we condemn legalism, we think it's going to give people a license to sin. Let me tell you, if you're into one of those areas that you think is a gray area and somebody close to you who loves Jesus has a problem with it and they talk to you about it and they love you and they care about you and they're bringing God's word to you and they're trying to walk you through because they see you very next to an edge and you are about to walk over. Maybe it's the stuff you look at. Maybe it's something you consume. Maybe it's the way you treat people. I don't know what it is, but if somebody is speaking into your life and they're a trusted believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, listen to them. And you know what? For instance, somebody might say, well, you know, I can, I can have a little alcohol whenever I want, but I'll tell you what, if you've got a problem in your marriage with it and your wife or your husband says, I don't like that, then you've got a problem because your marriage matters. You're looking at something you shouldn't be looking at, and you go, well, I've got freedom in Christ. I can do whatever I want to do. You know what? got to be really careful because it's so easy to cross that line. It's so easy to step into sin. And when somebody next to you who loves you says that I see something in your life that's really dangerous and they're calling you out on it, listen to them. So in a new reality, in three minutes, the second half of the message, verse 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may uh, obtain it. I want you to, here's, here's the challenge at the end, just a couple of quick things. Mediocrity is unacceptable. Why? Not because of who we are, but because of who our Savior is. Me- mediocrity is unacceptable because of who our Savior is. Do you know what, was, what went on in Corinth? It wasn't as big as the Olympics, but it was second to the Olympics. Do you remember what it was? It's really hard for me to say because I have kind of a lisp. The Ithmian Games. And you want me to say that again? The Ithmian Games. Look them up. The, um, they really were a big deal in Corinth. And Paul brings it up. He talks about an athlete. I think he's going, you know what? How can I bring this home to these people? Let me talk about something that comes right to their doorstep. Let me talk about an event that everybody knows about because the best athletes and the best musicians from the whole area come at this one point every other year and they compete. And 
By fourth century AD, it was kind of, it had kind of gone away, but it was a, an incredible festival. Corinth had a theater that seated 20,000 people. It was a major undertaking. So Paul is seizing it. He's looking at it and saying, I got to talk about a runner. I, got, I have to talk about the way that they run and the way that they train. How, uh, do you guys, anybody know how to get into the Boston Marathon? Anybody ever tried to get into the Boston Marathon? You got to qualify. How long in advance do you need to qualify? Almost two years. And they have, for every age range, they tell you what your qualifying time needs to be. For me, <laughs> I'm 55. So I need to run a three-hour and 40-minute marathon to qualify for the Boston Marathon sometime after September 16th, uh, 2017. And it needs to be well in advance. And even if I qualify with that time, if there are enough people who are better than me in my age group, I don't get in. You've got to prepare, and these games in Corinth were very similar. Ten months in advance, at least, minimum training. You had to have somebody sign off and say, they have trained, they have gotten to the place where not only have they trained, but they know what they're doing, and they're not going to embarrass themselves. And I think of uh, Paul writing here, and uh, I think of how powerful this statement is. When he talks about and to the people in Corinth and he urges them to have the kind of attitude of that like a runner, like somebody who would devote themselves to the work of a mighty God in their everyday life as a, as a Christian. Now, some of you are saying, um, you know what, I'm not, I'm not a missionary, I'm not a pastor, I don't have a, a work like, uh, like you do here in Waukee, uh, I don't give my life to that. In fact, my life seems kind of drudgery compared to what Paul is saying. I never get a chance to share the gospel. I don't know where my open doors are for the gospel. I know that some of you are feeling that way. And you're going, you know what? I don't want to live a mediocre Christian life. I just wish I had an opportunity. I have a stepbrother, and his name is Dave. And Dave feels exactly that way. But let me tell you about Dave. Dave gets up every morning, reads God's word. He's training. He's training his mind spiritually. And do you know what, uh, you know what people say about him? He's a businessman in a community in Nebraska. And what people say about him is, I don't know who his God is, but whoever his God is, I want in. His marriage, his family, the way he does business, his word, his integrity. And you know what, when people's marriages are falling apart, when things are going wrong in their life, they go to him, they flock to him. They want to hear from him. And he says, Mike, I'm not doing anything for the kingdom. I'm like, Dave, are you crazy? He writes checks that are more than, than some people make in a year to help ministries get by. And uh, he just said, you know, I don't want anybody to know, any, but I don't feel like I'm doing anything. And he's going to have one of those funerals that there will be so many people at, they're going to have to close the doors Fire marshal's not going to like it. My wife is kind of like that. I told her I wouldn't talk about her, but I, I lied. Sorry, honey. Um, <laughs> she would say, I can't preach, I can't teach, although she taught first graders for years, hundreds of them. But she is nurturing, organized, bold, analytical, a teacher, a mentor, and crazy gifted with kids. Where do you fit? How did God wire you? How has he made you? 
Your salvation isn't something that just lives in your past. It's alive today, Christ in you. Verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Eternity is the focus. Keep your mind and your heart on eternity. You see, what they did is, it was really weird. They, they had this like celery wreath, and it turned into a pine wreath. It got better. But that's what they gave the winner of the Isthmian Games, was a celery wreath, which became a pine wreath. We have something so much better. How many of you, when you get to heaven, can't wait to run into the people that would say, you know what, your life influenced me for the gospel. Your life made a difference. When you were leading worship, when you were up there and you were singing and I saw Christ at work in you, when you were sharing the word of truth, when you were serving, when you were greeting at the door, when you were doing whatever God had called you to do, to meet the needs of God's people and those who are coming into the doors and then out in the community, in your business, in your home, in your marriage. When you did that, I saw Jesus Christ in you and I pursued him and he opened my heart and he transformed my life. I can't wait for those times in eternity. That's the joy of eternity is we get to be with God forever. Uh, We don't have to wonder what that will be like. And we have the joy of seeing the fruit of our lives lived out in front of us, seeing the people that will greet us in, uh, in eternity. You know, it's interesting, the Super Bowl takes place in, what, two weeks? And there's going to be a billion people watching it, perhaps, um, who need exercise, and there are going to be 22 people playing who are definitely in need of rest, right? Isn't that kind of the way it gets in life sometimes? These people that are exhausted, their heads are banged up, you know, they're bruised, they're playing with punctured lungs, and here we are, you know, like, get past the nachos. Um, And that can be that way in life, and we can feel that way sometimes. But I want you to, I want to encourage you to remember uh, that you've been called to something that is imperishable. Finally, finish well. Finish well. Verse 26, so I I don't run aimlessly, I don't box as one beating the air, I discipline my body, keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul's saying, I gotta watch my own spiritual input here. Now you might, um, anybody ever heard of a, a spiritual leader falling morally? I cannot tell you, when I retired from being a pastor, I cannot tell you a number of people are like, hey Mike, uh, what really happened? Tell me, can you, what, you can tell me the real story. I'm like, dude, there's no good story behind. I'm sorry. God just allowed me to kind of run that course and, and have the joy of that and then be at the end of it. And I'm not done. I'm not done serving him. Um, this is the first time I preached in a year. And I, and I only said yes because my good friend asked me. But every day is, is preaching. Every day is teaching. Every day is sharing my life. But we got to finish well, don't we? Paul says you, gotta, you have to feed your, yourself spiritually. You need to be in God's word. we got to finish well. It doesn't mean comparing yourself to other Christians because you're going to get really uh, sad if you do because you're going to feel like you fall short. It just means to live your life in a way that brings the most honor and glory to Christ. I'm gonna, I'll close with this. I promise you I will close with this, Okay. Our youngest daughter, she, uh, when she was, uh, was she a senior in high school when she started cross country? Junior, okay. I imagine that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out for the cross country team. 
like a junior in high school. I'm like, okay, go for it. We, uh, we heard the swimming team, uh, all that kind of good stuff. We had the swimming suits and everything. And, um, but anyway, she felt, followed through with it. Cross country. I'll tell you what, I did not like cross country until I was watching it. And like, these athletes are unbelievable. They're unbelievable. I thought if you didn't have a ball, it was not a sport, right? I mean, that was narrow, right? Yeah, you can, you can think bad of me. I, I, we went to our first cross-country meet, and our daughter, you know, she's not the best because she's been training for like eight days. And, uh, <laughs> but I'm going out for cross-country. She made the team. And here we were. We are the only parents without a stopwatch, number one, because I didn't know that you're supposed to have one. And we're on a golf course, and they, they all run by, and then all the parents take off running. And we're like, where are they going? And we're there, so we just took off running. Uh, and we're going through, we're down hills, we're going through weeds and bushes, and we run up and we're with the other parents. And all of a sudden the kids run by again. And then they're gone again. Parents just take off running. They know where to go. We had no clue where to go. They just took off running. So we just kind of followed them. And I want you to think about that in the Christian life, okay, just for a moment. Um, there are some who are further along than you are. They know what they're doing. They know where they've been. Follow them as they follow Christ. I, mean, I, want, I want you to see this picture, this picture of a dad and his little boy somewhere in there. There it is. Have you seen this picture? Hey, you got a little boy who had brain surgery. And you know what the dad did? The dad went, and I, I don't recommend this necessarily, the dad went and had a tattoo put on his head in the shape of the scar that his son has on the side of his head. Why did he do that? What do you think? Why did he do that? Because he loves him. Any other reason? Would you do that for your son or daughter? Or something like that? People do all the time, don't they? You know, here's the cool thing about our Savior. As we, <laughs> as I pray, here's the great thing about our Savior. Not only did he take the marks and the pain and the suffering and shed his blood for our sin, our deformity, but you know what? When when he walked away, our scar is gone. He didn't leave it there. That's the difference in our God. You see, you've been called to live a life that is honoring to Christ because you are in a new reality. Intentionally walking out of here today alive in Jesus Christ. That's your father your heavenly father, but he, but he took the scar and, and uh, Jesus had the marks in his hands and his side. But you and I have been freed from the bondage of sin. We're made right with him. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love your word. Um, God, I, I pray that you take the words uh, and the heart of worship here this morning and all that was shared and just make uh, things come to life in us because your word changes us, it transforms us. 
We love you. And if anyone here today doesn't know Christ in a personal way, I pray they'll talk to Pastor Dave or someone on the worship team or, or anybody here who would love to share the truth. And they may come to a saving faith in Christ alone. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.